come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. In your bulletins this morning, you will find on the back of the uh, communion hymn the verses through which we will be walking through this morning. Let me read these to you. Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that comes... For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore say, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We've been walking through the epistle to the Ephesians these several months uh, during uh, Trinity season. And now that we're uh, back in uh, Epiphany, Uh, We're back looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Try to discern. Take no part. These are three phrases in these few verses where Paul is warning the Christians in Ephesus that it is possible to be a Christian and be deceived. It's not just possible, but it was happening in Ephesus. It was definitely happening in Corinth. And it's been happening in the church since Acts chapter 2. That a genuine Christian can become deceived. And Paul here is writing to the church to be watchful. To be careful. To continually be diligent to the apostles' teaching. 
to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Back in 1994, there was an earthquake in Los Angeles and a big, beautiful Presbyterian church in Los Angeles was very, very close to the epicenter there in Northridge. The congregation was dumbfounded and ecstatic to find that the building, after the earthquake, was completely intact. Even down to the stained glass windows, the building appeared to be in perfect condition. It seemed like a miracle that the building was still standing. But nevertheless, for safety's sake, they called engineers to come and check the building before they went in for worship. And upon investigation, they discovered that the whole building had moved off its foundation, making it unsafe and utterly useless. They spent millions of dollars tearing it down and rebuilding it. There are earthquakes, spiritual earthquakes, all the time. This passage is pointing back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, where he's exhorting the the Christians in Ephesus, do not walk like the Gentiles walk. And he says here, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Walk as children of light. So we're not to walk like the Gentiles. We are to walk as children of the light. We are to walk in love. And we are not to be deceived. We see these similar words echoing back from Colossians chapter 2. And let me read that for you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 4, 8, and 18. We see a progression here. Verse 4, I say to you, I say this in order that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. For through them... Even though I'm absent from the body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing in your good order and in the firmness of your faith. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, and going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by by a sensuous mind. Notice the progression. Let no one dilute you. Let no one take you captive. And let no one disqualify you. We saw in Sunday school this morning... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm, I'm saying to you what also I received, the gospel which I now stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold 
on to it. It's possible to be deluded. It's possible to be a Christian and be taken captive. It's possible for a Christian to become disqualified. Frightening. What's even worse is this past December, the House of Bishops in the Church of England came out with a very biblical orthodox teaching on marriage. Let me read it to you. It's always been the position of the Church of England that marriage is a creation ordinance, a gift of God in creation and a means of grace. Marriage, defined as a faithful, committed, permanent, legally sanctioned relationship between a man and a woman, making a public commitment to each other, is central to the stability and health of a human society. The Church of England teaches the Church of England's teaching is classically summarized in the Book of Common Prayer, where the marriage service lists the cause for which marriage was ordained, namely for the procreation of children, for the remedy against sin, for a mutual society, help and comfort as one ought to have for another. In light of this understanding, the Church of England teaches that sexual intercourse as an expression of faithful intimacy properly belongs within marriage exclusively. Wonderful statement. Wonderful statement. The problem is the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Archbishop of York, the two leading clergyman of England this past week got on television and apologized for this because it might hurt people. It is very possible, and it happens all the time, that a man in the, with a collar or with REV period before his name can say something that is absolutely contradictory to the Holy Bible. It'll happen all over America today. It will happen all through Europe today. And people will be deceived. They will be deluded and taken into captivity. And because of wolves in sheep's clothing, many will be disqualified. Empty words, words that are vain, that have no substance to them, words that are vapor in the air. When the church reflects the sinfulness of a culture, the church no longer is the church. Many in the Anglican Church in North America want so desperately to be in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury, then will be legitimate. Who wants to be in communion with a man who apologizes for the clear teaching of God's word? What is informing your view of your role 
of your being as a man, your being as a woman, your being as a husband, your being as a wife, your being as a child? What is informing? How is the gospel, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and was raised three days, how does that fact inform how you look at your neighbors as your family, at yourself? Life is a complicated struggle. Sprinkled with moments of happiness. But each day it's a struggle. And Paul says, I've delivered to you the gospel that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried and rose three days later. This gospel, which is saving you, which you're now standing, if you hold fast. If you hold fast. What is your fundamental identity as a person? Many years ago, an Italian reporter was given time to interview Pope John Paul II. And he asked him, it must be amazing and marvelous to be the Pope You know what the Pope said? The amazing, marvelous thing is to be a Christian. Is to be a Christian. When we were baptized, there was an indelible mark placed on you and linked you to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A brand, as you will. Maybe we could call it a tattoo. You got a tat. You got some ink that defines you as being owned by Jesus Christ. And your fundamental identity is not Republican or Democrat or Independent or American. It's a Christian. It's a Christian. And people who say otherwise, who reorganize or edit the scripture to take out and redefine what the scripture has clearly taught and what the church has clearly taught, they're speaking empty words, words that are vain, words that are vapor in the air. And the only way that we can discern these things is to follow Paul's exhortation in Romans chapter 12. What does Romans chapter 12 say? And we, we quote this in our, in our worship service, our mass, our holy communion, every week. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern the will of God. What is good? What is acceptable? What is perfect? How do we discern? We discern by renewing our minds with the word of God. Is the word of God important to you? Do you study it? Where is your Bible? Is it a delicate heirloom that you keep on the shelf? Or is it worn out with tattered, torn pages because of reading and studying? Have you asked yourself, maybe I'm deluded? Maybe my thinking isn't right. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, bring every mind, every thought captive. And we don't know what is the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God unless we know the word, the word of God. And so we see, brothers and sisters, participating out of good motives. We should care for people that are struggling with life. We should care for them. We should love them. I know your struggle. I don't have that same struggle, but I have a struggle, and I understand that. And Paul doesn't say, stay away from the sinners outside the church. He says, run to them. It's the sinners in the church that are teaching contrary to the word of God that we should stay away from. This is why in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, do not associate with the sexually immoral. And he says, not, not the ones outside the church, because you are one of them. You should be hanging around the sexually immoral outside the church. It's the sexually immoral within the church that you should stay away from. And when the church apologizes for something so fundamental, not just to Christianity, but to humanity, one of the things that, that I am most afraid of is standing in front of God on that great judgment day. I've been teaching the Bible in some form since high school. And I've taught, taught some really stupid things. And I've been striving to teach the right thing. But I will have to give an account, not just for Patrick Malone, but as being a teacher of God's word. And it's the job of the priest, the minister, to get it right so that his people will know how to follow Christ in the most clear and edifying way. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.